This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, triveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask questions and I answer. Starting off, Marilo Rem. R-E-M-B asked, in down dog on the wall, my shoulders internally rotate and it hurts. Any tips? So what she's referring to is, she or he, I'm not sure, is referring to is in down dog on the wall, which is like an L shape. So imagine you're in a down dog, you walk yourself back until your heels touch the wall and then you walk your feet up and you're forming somewhat of a 90 degree shape. In that, you're saying that your shoulders are rolling in, internally rotating, and that that hurts. So the tips I would first say is bend your knees a little bit so that you're going to free up some of your back muscles that run from the base of your foot, the sole of your foot, all the way up to the shoulders. And so if any part along that is has tension to it and is stuck, it might make another area shorten because it's just because the tension in the the load is too much. So some people will round and what you might be doing is doing that. You might be rounding in your upper back and that rolls your shoulders into internal rotation. So immediately bend the knees. You could also walk your feet a little higher than 90 degrees, Um, not too high, but that will at 90 degrees, the load of the pelvis is right on top of the shoulders. And that makes it really physically demanding. So you could walk your feet a little bit higher up the wall and see if that helps to A, not pull on that back fascial line as much so that you can really get the shoulders in alignment. I would also suggest looking at your wrist and making sure that the wrist creases are parallel to each other and not turning in. So if you see that your wrist creases are not parallel, like to the to the edge of the wall, that also is is not going to help the shoulder position. So the wrist position will be important for the shoulders. Um, the final thing I would say is maybe just try one foot up at a time, like just do the one foot and kind of push the uh, floor, I mean, push the wall away as you kind of hover the other leg so that you're inch by inch going into that 90 degrees. It still will be really challenging, but it won't be a full, you'll have a little bit of a a counterweight through the leg. See if any of those things help. Uh, The main thing is to, to keep your spine long and your pelvis as much as neutral as possible. So that might mean that you're gonna bend the knees. It might mean that you will walk the feet up so that the legs are higher than the pelvis and that's okay. That's okay. Try those things, and I hope that that helps. And maybe you can write me on Instagram and let me know. Curie89, do you recommend online yoga teacher training without much experience in yoga practice? I am a PT, though. Well, yes, being a PT will certainly help. 
And uh, it's fine if my online yoga teacher training have, I have people from in 20 years of teaching and practicing to really pretty new yoga practitioners. If you have knowledge of the body, then that is going to up your game for sure. So a yoga, if you've only been practicing yoga for six months, but you're a PT, then that knowledge of the body is going to set you ahead so that you're like more like a two-year practitioner. So uh, yes, it'd be great. I'd love for you to join in. We have an amazing group now. We're in our second cohort and it's growing and it's really, I have physical therapists always in every training, it seems like, and they learn a lot as well because it's a slightly different perspective than we had in our PT school and our PT continuing education. So I was just working with a PT today and she said, you know, she has her upper trapezius were really not working, not as strong as they needed to be. But the upper trapezius will sometimes give you the feeling that you're needing to stretch them. And so she's like, why didn't we learn this in PT school? And I said, I know. There's a lot of things we don't learn in PT school. And so you you can learn them in this training. Okay. Jay Laos, how would you modify lit yoga into a Hatha program practice, which is more stagnant? Maybe you mean more static. Hopefully you don't need more stagnant. Stagnant kind of to me means like you're not like it's heavy and you're not really moving. Static is also you're not really moving as much. You're staying in position more. So in answer to your question, sometimes people will say that. A lot of people love that there's a lot of movement in lit and it the emphasis is on moving well and on moving with an integrated core. Now, for for people that are coming from a more like Hatha practice, which is what you're referring to, uh, which is in in theory, I guess, or in or traditionally been a, a more slower paced, longer static holds, the the lit type of yoga can feel like very fast, even though it's not, because I've been to fast vinyasa, and this is purposeful movement. But compared to just holding a static pose, it will feel different. So I would say if you're looking for something that's going, that's slower, that would be more along the lines of a Hatha practice that is more static, then you could check out my, the slow flow classes that are on there. There are the building block classes that are on there that are slower, the beginner classes, all of those don't mean they're beginner to me doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that it's going to go slower. There's going to be longer time periods that we're in a pose because we're really investigating how to get in the pose, what the pose is should feel like, and then how to get out of it in a more precise way that inevitably takes more time. So I would check those out. Uh, there are some classes that I have that do have some some more long, or I should say longer holds. I don't even like the word static or holds, but I know what it means. Um, But it is, I think, more of a hold because what we're really trying to do is stay engaged in the pose and within that being pulling some of the tissue for a little longer period of time. And we, we do do that for a variety of different poses, not all of them. Uh, So I have a class called Bliss. I have Bliss for the hips, Bliss for the shoulders, where we are doing some more mobilization and then more of these 
intentional holds. So check those classes out as well. If you're just taking my daily class and you want to know how to modify it, you can always go a little bit slower and stop the, you know, stop the, that's the beautiful thing about having it on on videos. You could just pause it and stay there for a bit more. That's completely fine. So try all of those things. And I hope that helps. Somebody else asked me, Emily asked, will you eventually maybe make a pregnancy and post-pregnancy teacher training? Uh, Maybe, but there's a lot of really good ones out there already. So I kind of know like what my my lane is. It's not that my lane is not pre and post-pregnancy. I think mine would be similar to my lit training and that I would really make sure that you're as your body, as it's growing, is as prepared for birth and the the follow to birth as possible. So that's always going to be from a stance of your core is strong, but the core muscles change. You're going to be, the abdominals are going to be less important in your second and third pregnancy in terms of training them as the pelvic floor and the, the hip and the shoulder um, stabilizers are going to be. So maybe I will, but right now that doesn't look like it. <laughs> I have some other ones doing, but I, we are going to have a, in my lit training, my lit level two, which is corresponds to a 300 hour, like it's kind of like 300 hour is yoga alliances standards. And so I follow those because there are people who like to get yoga alliance points certifications, but my lit level two is kind of follows that it's a 300 hour. And I have an online module for my lit level Two and that it's not yet released, but it in one of those I have a, there's a pelvic health section, and pre and prenatal and postnatal will be addressed in that. Um, Jaja Yoga, this is a fun question. Do you, in parentheses, still get butterflies every time you teach? Butterflies, no, because butterflies to me, uh, when I think of butterflies, I think of like nervousness, and um, but it's excited nervousness. I'm always excited to teach. I always have like, uh, I kind of put on my professional hat. Like I, I really like to start on time. I really like to try and end on time. I, I'm not always excellent with that, especially online because I feel like I'm instructing more, but I, there's a, I'm excited to teach every time. I will say that I, I teach four or five times a week and I've been doing that for such a long time. I mean, not almost, you know, eight years in the public yoga studio and five years online and, you know, 20 years total with some doing small yoga, my small private stuff. And I would say every time I'm excited to teach, I can't remember a time where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like teaching. I might have felt like, oh, I feel really tired today or I feel something, but teaching always, always helps me get out of whatever just downward mood I was in. It's such a gift. I, I just love it. I feel such, it's such a privilege really to, to be able to teach and educate and come up with this method and share it and be creative and people be receptive to my creativity. And so I do, I do sometimes get that nervous butterflies when I'm there's like a something novel about it, whether it's like people that are totally new to me or, uh, when I'm traveling, obviously we're not traveling now during the pandemic, but when I'm traveling and I'm going, I get really excited. But again, it, it never does, it doesn't feel um, like overwhelmingly nerve, nerves. It's, it's exciting. So I think, yes, I would say I still have the 
wonderful excitement about teaching every time, but I don't have like the butterflies, like, holy crap, am I going to, how am I going to get in front of people and talk? The only reason that doesn't happen is I've just done it hundreds of times. I mean, really, really, it's just a matter of anything you do hundreds of times, it's going to feel there's going to be more ease in doing it. And that's, that's the only thing I used to get um, really nervous about teaching and like that butterfly feeling, but um, that's, that's been a long time just because I've been exposed. It's exposure. (laughs) You know, they say, expose yourself to your fear. Like when you expose yourself to something that does give you nervousness over and over again, you, you, you don't become as nervous, but I'm always excited. All right. Christine Yupping asks, how different are pincha and handstand prep practices? So she's referring to forearm balance and handstand practices. That's a great question. I mean, to me, they're, there's, they're different in the mechanics, but similar in the integration of scapula stability and the rest of the core stability. So for forearm balance practice, I do dolphin and I do dolphin all the time. And I do dolphin no matter whether somebody thinks they eventually want to get their legs up. So dolphin, for those of you who are not unsure, it's like, imagine a down dog, but you're on your forearms. Your head is off the ground. So it's not a headstand at all. You're, you're on your forearms and the forearms being on the floor is widening your base of support. So imagine how much contact you're having with the floor. If you could like if you had paint on your body and you pushed your forearms down into the floor and then came away, you would have a much bigger surface that you were making contact with versus like paint on your hands, put your hands down. It's a smaller surface. When you have a smaller surface, you have more, it's harder to balance. I mean, that's just like two legs versus one leg. So there are different demands when you have smaller surface to balance on. But some people think forearm balance is harder, even though there's more of a a surface that you're balancing on. And I think the reason for that is the demand directly on your scapula stability is greater when you're in a forearm balance. So as you strengthen your forearm balance, you're inevitably strengthening your handstand but the mechanics, meaning the firing of the musculature is different. So you do need to practice both. When I'm on my forearms, my scapula has to be held onto the rib cage and the abdominal wall, all the obliques, the transverse abdominus really, really have to help because if I, if they collapse in any way and my ribs move when I'm on my forearms, the shoulder heads will sink. And that'll always feel like, very heavy. And then, and then you'll feel like I can't ever get on. I can't balance because your shoulders, it's like part of your frame is collapsing in handstand. It can be similar, but if your elbow bends a little bit in handstand, as you're coming up, that's not a big deal. As long as your scapula feels like it's pretty tacked onto the back and you've got a longer lever arm, your arm to help that. So I practice both and one will help the other, but they are different in the biomechanical um, kind of scaffolding or structure in how you balance on your arms. So you have to really practice them both as, you know, that's where the specificity of a pose uh, and the requirements in that pose really show up because they are different in that way. But I practice both. I think they're both, they help each other. 
Okay, finally, last question here. Uh, Hamil40 asks, what is the position of shoulders in low cobra? So in a low cobra, think of the what's happening before and after, and that'll really set you up well. You're in a plank and you're lowering. You either lower all the way in one piece, like one horizontal line, lowering like a plank that's the elbows are bending, or you lower the knees to offset some of the weight, and then you continue to lower. Now, when I lower, I don't go all the way down. Like In other words, I in my cueing, I'll say, make sure the head of the arm bones stay away from the ground. So when I lower, the chest might touch down, but the shoulders are not rolling and rounding. That's very important for the setup of the cobra. So the humeral head stays what's called centrated. It's centered. It isn't rolling anteriorly forward and down toward the floor. So, and the chest wall stays open. It doesn't collapse. So when you're set up, if you've lowered and you're set in that position, low cobra is going to really depend on what is your pelvis like? What is your thoracic spine like? in terms of thoracic mobility. Because if you are in a lot of anterior tilt to the pelvis, when you get down onto in prone and you try and get up in cobra a little bit, it might be it might be pushing you into your low back too much. So your cobra might be super low. You might actually focus more on lifting the belly away from the floor to get a neutral pelvis and then t- then pull back with the hands towards your feet a little bit. That might, and you might barely lift your chest. Someone whose pelvis is more neutral can really use the hands as leverage to pull, not to push, to pull, and the chest wall lifts up and expands like the hood of a cobra. You still are not going to get to the point where your elbows are straight, straight. Okay. And, and you might, it, again, it depends on you. This is your individual body. So the way I look in my Cobra is going to be different than someone else. If somebody has a lot of openness across the anterior part of their hip, they're not going into anterior tilt. They've got a lot of strong integration in their core and the the thoracic spine is really mobile. They might get up higher, but that height is coming from strength, not from pushing into the, not leveraging by pushing the hands down, but by pulling the hands back. So everybody's going to be a little bit different. You need to check in with those points, though. Pubic bone pulls up towards your sternum. Front ribs stay pulled up. They're not pushing into the ground. And you're trying to drag the hands back and feel the scapula on your back body. Like, really feel it there so that the chest wall has some expansion. Thanks for your questions. As always, you can write me at laura at lityoga.com or find me on Instagram and send me your questions for the podcast. And as always, I'm pulling for you.